Welcome to Hope Renewed, the podcast of PIR Ministries. Thanks for connecting to Hope Renewed, the in-depth podcast about pastoral renewal and restoration. I'm Tom Jameson, and along with co-host Sean Nemechek, we explore the issues and challenges pastors face and help cultivate a renewed hope for healthy ministry lives. Well, Sean, I think it would be safe to say that every pastor wants their church to be strong and healthy. And part of the challenge of ministry is knowing how to lead your church to that place. And one of the primary keys to a church's strength and health is the strength and the health of the pastor. And addressing all these makes that simple desire a a pretty complex problem sometimes. It does. And uh, we have a special guest today who's really uh, about investing in the the strength and health of churches and uh, the health of the pastor as well. Uh, Brian Moak has served as a pastor in three churches over 25 years. He served in children's ministry, in worship, in discipleship, in small groups, and uh, in the executive pastor role. Brian brings this experience and his wisdom to his current role as vice president of church strengthening uh, for the Mid-America District of Converge, a, a role he's held since 2017. Brian loves to help the local church effectively realize its vision for the sake of Christ's kingdom. Brian Moak, welcome to Hope Renewed. Oh, it's great to be with you. I I actually listened to your podcast. And so, I mean, how cool is it to actually be on this podcast? (laughs) That is exciting. It's a great privilege. Wow. Thanks, Brian. Hey, we want to jump into uh, the questions and and, uh, start with, just tell us a little bit about what Converge Mid-America is and what you do as Vice President of Church Strengthening. So the nickel tour of Converge and and, and me is uh, Converge is a 165-year-old Baptistic movement, started out as the Swedish Baptists and uh, actually started in Illinois. Uh, which is where uh, our uh, district headquarters are in the Chicago area, but out in uh, Rock Island, Illinois, is, is really where Converge started as the Swedish Baptist. Bethel Seminary, which is now Bethel University and Seminary in St. Paul, Minnesota, is our school. And, uh, um, and so that happened. And then after World War II, uh, churches started looking and recognizing that they weren't all that Swedish anymore. Several of our churches were still doing services in in Swedish. And uh, interestingly, the young people were flocking from their churches to go to English-speaking churches. And and there's nothing new, right? It's still our young people. We have to be listening and watching what's happening to them, because if we lose them, we, we really lose. And uh, so they said, man, we got to figure this out. So they changed the name to the Baptist General Conference. And, and we were that up until about 2008. Well, that, that Baptistic nomenclature to sort of lead with is not always helpful. It's not helpful as a definer uh, because Baptist means so many different things. Uh, and, and depending on, on where you're at. And, and then also we have about 190 missionaries around the world. And some of those missionaries are in pretty scary places. And um, uh, moving around under the auspice of Baptist General Conference is not always easy, but to converge is easier that way. And so I, I, I 
often share the name thing, not to share about our name at Converge, but uh, it really gets to the heart of who we are as a movement. We are about starting and strengthening churches around the globe. And um, we're a big rock movement. Uh, we, we major on the majors. We major on the inerrancy of scripture, the deity of Christ, the Trinity, the cross, the, the, the things that, that should matter to us as followers of Jesus. Mm -hmm. and, and then we're willing strategically to do whatever it takes to make sure that we are seeing men and women and boys and girls to, to come and know Christ. And so we're about 1,500 churches uh, in the United States uh, in 10 districts, 10 regions, of which Convergement America is one of them. We're actually not even Convergement America anymore. We're Convergement America slash Southeast slash Caribbean. Uh, we have merged <laughs> with our Southeast and Caribbean district uh, and uh, now have become uh, about 500 churches in uh, at least 11 states and 27 countries. Mm. And so uh, it, is, it is expanded and, and and also then my role as vice president of church strengthening has expanded. So I, as Sean, as you said, I was a pastor, always in a second chair role for 25 years. And I've done just about everything except live in the first chair. Uh, but really my job throughout my ministry life was doing whatever I could to help make our pastor look good, right? That, that was kind of my job in a second chair sort of role. And, and, and I kind of get to do that today. I serve our pastors. I serve our churches to help them look good, to help them be all that God has called them to be. And so for me, uh, this is the best gig I've ever had. Um, I love it. I love connecting with our churches in the ways that I get to do that. And really two things drive me and, and everything that I do. One is uh, there's a statistic in America and we're familiar with it. 85% of churches are either plateaued or declined and uh, plateaued for most of them is just another way to say declining. And, uh, and, and so my what if question is what if um, we could flip that script in Convergement America? What, what if, 85% of our churches were strong and healthy and mm. gospel centric and reproducing places. And so that drives what I do strategically. And then the second one is no one leads alone. I don't want our pastors to feel like they're on an Island by themselves. And, and that, you know, as we talk even more today, I think is a real issue for a lot of pastors out there is they are on an Island by themselves. And, and, uh, Converge is, is an autonomous group. In other words, our churches are completely autonomous. They're part of who we are because we believe we're better together, um, but we don't have authority in the life of our churches. And so you can lead by yourself if you want in Converge, um, mm -hmm. but it's going to be in spite of what we offer. And, uh, and, and so that really drives a lot of, of what I do strategically. And so, um, yeah, so I love to get up and to see what would it look like for our churches uh, to be all that God has called them to be. Boy, Brian, I just, I love the passion uh, that kind of exudes uh, from your heart as you talk about that and, and the conviction of, of how good that is uh, to be strengthening one another in, in leadership. And I love too how, uh, if, if I can put it this way, how you embraced your role when you were in pastoral ministry in the local church of that second chair of, of, of understanding, okay, this is where the Lord has me, and, and I want to do my best there and, and live out my call there. But certainly something in that 
um, is connected to, to where you are now. What, what was it about being in pastoral ministry, serving and embracing that second chair role and seeing that ministry done together is, is better than ministry done apart? How did that grow in you? It's hard to sort of put it in one sort of box, right? Because our journeys are complex. Mm-hmm. And quite frankly, a lot of a lot of where you get to today is through hard things. And um, so my very first church I was in, it was my home church, actually. And uh, that's a that's a trick in and of itself mm-hmm. uh, to to pastor in the environment in which they all saw you as a obnoxious kid. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so to, to be in that, that role there was, it was important. And I was also worship and children's pastor. It was a combination position mm. and, um, that's a horrible combination. position. <laughs> I would encourage churches. Don't ever do that combo, but it taught me the importance of team. I, I, I couldn't lead kids on Sunday morning and lead worship on Sunday morning. I, I couldn't do it. So I needed to build team right out of the gate. I didn't know how to do it, but it's, it's like, you know, did God, did God build that in me? Probably did God uh, use that experience to help me learn how to build team? Probably. Mm-hmm. And, and so uh, team became very important in that first experience. And so that started to do that. Well, there was a lot of conflict in the church. I, I always say my first church grew rapidly uh, from 600 to 300 in the five years that I was there. <laughs> and so the four pastors that were on staff there, um, we were tight. Uh, to this day, we're friends. Wow. And uh, man, I learned the value of being on the same page together, what that means. And, and I've not had that repeated since that day. I've had great relationships with pastors, but uh, not like that. And so mm-hmm. God used those first five years to really help me understand the importance of not doing ministry together. And, and then uh, I went to my next position, which was a full-time worship position. And I, that's what I thought, that's all I wanted to do. And as I was there for six years, I saw God do amazing things. And I, and I realized that what was driving me was more leadership than it was worship uh, leadership. Um, mm. And so God opened up some doors there and taught me some more things about who I am. And, and, uh, and, and then uh, my last ministry was uh, one where I really sort of embraced that executive pastor piece fully. Um, quite frankly, it was almost more of an associate position, but um, that that was uh, one in in which um, I really had a probably the most responsibility I've ever had as it related to to leading church and helping a church that was stuck for a generation and and see that culture change over a ten year period of time to be uh, not an inwardly focused place but outwardly focused. So I mean, that's just a couple of examples of just how God uses. Good and bad experiences. I haven't even shared the really bad stuff, but we all have it. You can't be in ministry for any length of time and not have those really mm. bad things. And so you have a choice to get better or bitter, right? Mm. And and thankfully, uh, part of it, I'm sure, is my wife who helped me with that. Uh, but God allowed me uh, to become better rather than bitter. And we all walk with a limp today uh, because of our experiences. But I'm able to come alongside pastors today and say, I don't know exactly where you've been, but I've probably been in the general vicinity. Mm-hmm. And here's what God has said. So it's it's like, if you've never had cancer, it's hard to talk to someone who's struggling with cancer and say, I understand what you're going through, right? I, you know, yeah, right, you do. 
uh, until you have cancer, you don't really know what that is. And, and so uh, that's kind of the way I view this is I feel like the breadth of it, good and bad and hard and challenging experiences I've had through my ministry allows me to come alongside the pastor. I've not been the lead guy. I, I can't understand exactly how that is, but let me tell you what I do understand mm -hmm. and how I can, I can encourage you. And I, I think that God has really used that over the years. Yeah, that, you know, that, that resonates so much with what we see at PIR uh, in, in working with pastors in transition uh, and how crucial those transition times are in, in developing your heart and your soul and your walk with the Lord and preparing you for the next thing that, that God would, would call you to. Uh, without getting too awfully nosy, uh, would you be willing to share one of those difficult transition experiences and, yep. and just uh, how that was formative for you? Yeah, so um, so I, I left my first church. It, it was a conflicted experience, but it was not personally conflicting, if you will, and it was just time mm -hmm. uh, to, to go, and I, I went to a church that in the first six years of that ministry, everything I touched turned to gold. Mm -hmm. uh, God just moved in amazing ways. And it wasn't me. It was just, I was in the right place. I brought the right gifts at the right time. And we saw God move in powerful ways, specifically around the issues of prayer and mm -hmm. worship. And I mean, we have people coming to our church from the community to our prayer meeting on Wednesday night because they heard that God was answering prayers in our midst and they wanted uh -huh. us to pray for them. So it was just one of those wow. things. And we grew rapidly, went from about 700 to 1300 in about a four or five year period of time. And, um, and, and then I moved from that position to executive pastor position. And on the one hand, I went from being the most upfront visible guy, probably next to the senior pastor. And this was, a, we were a big fish in a very small pond um, where I worked like crazy, but I could have not done very much. And people would have thought I worked like crazy uh, because I was, they always saw me up front to never working harder in my life than I did as executive pastor and people wondering what I did all day. Yeah. <laughs> and it was a very, that was hard for me uh, to, in that transition. And oh, by the way, I hired my replacement in worship who didn't do as good of a job as I did. And so um, that was hard for me. Mm -hmm. uh, in, in the midst of that, um, there were um, issues surrounding our family, specifically as it related to my wife. Um, some were our own issues and some were issues that were sort of happening to her. And, and I, I think it was uh, a, a combination of a variety of things, but when things are good, when you're a big fish in a small pond, it's great. When things are not good, being a big fish in a small pond is horrible. Mm. And it became horrible for us. And long story short, I ended up losing that ministry and I could not understand why. I, I, I couldn't understand why uh, I did everything right Mm -hmm. uh, we were obedient as far as we could figure it out in every way we could, and still it didn't work out. 
And I, mm -hmm. I, I have to admit, I was pretty angry with God at that point. Mm -hmm. And um, I needed to feed my family. So I needed to find a church right away. So I didn't really do a, a, some a really good healing out of that. I think I could have really used a PIR experience. Um, mm -hmm. Now I did go, my wife and I went to Quiet Waters in Denver. Yep. And I can't say enough about that ministry. It saved our ministry, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. And then being a part of a tribe like a Converge, saved my ministry at the time because I found out who my real friends were in ministry. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. there are people who will, I will forever be in their debt because they were lifelines for me in the midst of all that confusion that, that they, they hung on to me when I didn't want to hang on. And so went to that church, realized after about six months, it took me about six months to stop being ticked, mm -hmm. uh, ticked at God, ticked at at the church. And so that, that pain, um, I think I couldn't understand it at the time. It didn't make sense. I went from a church of 1300 that was seeing God do amazing things to a church of 200 that hadn't seen a significant work of God in a generation, but God used all of it to, to, to help me be a better leader, uh, to help build my character. I think, I think I had some sharpness to my character that I, that I needed to work on. Um, it wasn't about me. It's not about us as pastors. And that's a whole nother question, but I think that's an issue that we have. And, um, and so God used it. So it's a long way around saying that, uh, that, that I don't ever want to go through that kind of pain again. It was brutal. Um, but I wouldn't trade it for anything because mm -hmm. I wouldn't be where I am today without it. Yeah. And, and thank you so much for, for being willing to share that the, the redemptive power of pain, uh, in yeah. sharing, especially through sharing stories we've found yeah. is so hope giving and, uh, life giving to, to pastors. Yeah. And, and, you know, we serve a lot of pastors in different roles here in PIR. So I, it could be very easy to think we only serve senior pastors, but nothing could be further from the truth. We mm -hmm. we deal with a lot of uh, pastors who are in that second chair role, the youth role, worship leaders, uh, and uh, a lot of them experience that kind of pain. So I'm th just thank you for for being willing to share that. And, and let, let me say this too, Sean, because that brings up a really good point. One of the tragedies for me at the time was because I was in a second chair role. Uh, there was no place for me within my movement uh, mm -hmm. to help me. There was lots of place for me to get help if I was a senior pastor. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah. it was almost like, okay, second chair guy, you, you go get yourself healthy, but you're going to go do that on your own. Uh, ne never, never was given that opportunity. And so I, I think it's so important um, yes, the senior pastor, he is the primary leader in that church. But uh, number one, a lot of those second chair leaders become first chair leaders. And how many of them have gone by the wayside because we have not cared for them in their time of need? And, and secondly, those second chair leaders are critical for our churches. And, mm -hmm. and uh, so I'm grateful that PIR does that sort of care, not simply for the senior pastor, but for second chair leaders as well. Yeah, the other thing I wanted to draw out of your story was how God can use the pain that we experience in ministry to prepare us for something bigger down the road um, and to mature us as leaders and, and develop us. And uh, you are now uh, investing in pastors 
all over the country in many ways. Uh, and you're hosting a podcast that's really about building health and strength into churches and, and those church leaders. Uh, your podcast is called Advance. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about it? Why did you start it? And what are your goals for that podcast? Yeah. So, um, I mean, every, every all the cool people like PIR are doing podcasts. So, I mean, I'm like, <laughs> I, I got to do a podcast. But uh, it, it just really was time, I thought, um, for a couple of reasons. One is I wanted to have a resource for our pastors uh, that they could draw from. Um, I, I wanted to also give platform for our pastors. You, you know, a lot of times the guys who get platform in uh, church movements, uh, tribes are uh are the big guys, right? Mm. Uh, the mega church guys, they're the, they're, they're the ones that, that we want to celebrate. And, and the reality is, is we're no different than any other movement is most of our churches are not even close to that sort of size. And some of our best leaders in our movement and around the country uh, are in smaller churches. And so I wanted to give a platform for people who had gifts in different areas to do some of that teaching for us and some of that encouragement. And so that was a big part of it. Um, and, and then um, uh, just to have another tool for guys to be able to deal, <clears throat> excuse me, with what I, what I would say is more, I try to deal with more big rock issues and try to balance it. Um, uh, you know, there's plenty of strategic stuff out there. They're great. But I wanted to kind of where, where are we sort of living in the trenches every day? You know, I, I, I'm not sure guys need another nine reasons to do this or seven ways to do this. It's it's how how do I do today in my situation? And so I try to I try to make the, the topics uh, revolve around some of the bigger rocks that will that maybe you draw one thing out of that that you can say, OK, I'm going to I'm going to think more fully about that. I really enjoy some of the, the episodes that you've had on your podcast. You've had uh, major church leaders and, and small church leaders all across the board. So thank you for that. It's really great. And some guy named Sean Nemechek from PIR. He was on my podcast too. I mean, come so on. Now. The, re the really small guys. Dude, <laughs> dude, you were on his podcast. I didn't know that. You didn't. Tell oh me yeah. That. I mean, okay. he's a big deal. Wow. The Hope Renewed podcast is brought to you by PIR Ministries. At PIR Ministries, we partner with God in the church in the work of pastoral renewal and restoration. Pastors, our goal is to help you cultivate new hope for healthy life and ministry. We do this by building relationships. We train both pastors and churches to promote a culture of ministry health. If you've experienced a forced termination from ministry, we provide a process of restoration for you and your family. We also have proven resources and tools to assist you in the challenges of ministry life. To contact us or to learn more about PIR Ministries, visit PIRministries.org. Well, Brian, you, you have opportunity work, to work with uh, a kind of a broad spectrum of pastors and ministry leaders. And what do you see as some of the greatest needs uh, among them right now? Yeah, I, I said it before, and that is, I think so many pastors are lonely uh, and are living on islands. And quite frankly, what we've been through in the last year or so uh, has only exacerbated that problem. I really believe gone are the days where it's kind of cool to be independent. Uh, 
Mm. Um, I, I think we're realizing, um, and maybe in a, in a more unifying way than it used to be, uh, that we need, and I, I keep using this term tribe, we need a group of pastors that we can gather with and, and know that we're not the only ones dealing with particular issues. It's just shocking to me how say, I'll talk to a pastor who's dealing with something during, you know, of, of COVID and they're, they're talking like what I'm about to share with you. I probably, I guarantee you probably have never heard before. And I'm like, yep, I hear it every day. You're in the same spot. Everybody else is welcome mm-hmm. to what it is to do pastoral leadership today. And, and so some of that is just take a breath and realize we're all in this scrum together mm. uh, today. And so I think that's, that's a big need for pastors. Um, I, j- I just read Survive to Thrive by Jimmy Dodd, and uh, I, I, it has become a go-to book for me already. And, and this, this idea of having these six relationships as pastors, that, that, we, that each pastor needs six specific relationships. I won't give it away so that you, re- so that you, you can read <laughs> well, it. Well, ask Jimmy when he, we have him on. Uh, yeah, yeah. There you go. But there's a, he talks about the front stage and the backstage. And the front stage is what everybody sees and it all looks good and everything. And then pastors have this backstage, which a lot of times is a huge mess. And so creating, helping pastors create a space to open up some of that backstage. Uh, So, and, and to know that, yeah, it's stuff that needs to be cleaned up, but it's also not unique. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's a way through that backstage mess um, and, and so we try to do things that, that help them to take a look at that backstage within reason, because, uh, it's tricky, uh, because, um, you know, when you're talking to a denominational person, uh, you run the risk of that coming back to bite you. And, mm-hmm. uh, we try to create place safe places where you don't have to worry about that. Um, we have a counseling program. We do a thing called compass where, and we just make it very clear. It's very confidential, et cetera. Um, but it's, it's, it's scary and tricky, but even if you could just crack the door open a little bit, it's helpful. And, um, I had, uh, an elder of a church. The last thing I'll say on this is I had an elder at, at one of our churches. I was helping them look for a pastor and, um, this was early on in COVID. And he said, one of three things are happening to people. He said, you're either becoming a hunk, a chunk, or a drunk. And (laughs) that was just phenomenal (laughs) wisdom right there. And so I used that funny little quip because that's happening to our pastors, even in this time. And, and, and just to say that, because drunk doesn't necessarily mean drunk, that Mm -hmm. it can mean all sorts of ways to anesthetize ourselves and hunk and chunk doesn't even necessarily mean getting fat or getting fit. It's, it can mean different things, but, but rec- me being able to say that to our pastors and is, is this sort of transparent way for them to fill in the blank for themselves and, and to say, Oh my goodness, if Brian's saying that he, and, and he says it a lot, it's probably happening a lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, so those are just some ways I think that that figuring out uh, how to be more transparent and, and finding those places, if it's not us, the PIRs of the world, et cetera, that can help uh, in those spots is just really critical. 
the last thing I would say is one of the greatest needs for our pastors is to recognize who they are and who they're not. Yes. Um, yes. We are so addicted to what other people are doing. You know, I, I, even from a church perspective, we're addicted to what other people are doing. And so I just, uh, it, this is not my phrase, but I, I share it with churches all the time. We're all great commission churches. We're all, we all have the same mission. Um, but what is our great permission within the great commission? That's the thing we need to figure out as churches. And that's what we need to figure out as pastors too. God has wired us. God has given us talent, ability um, uh, for such a time as this in this particular location. And so helping them uh, have joy in what they are, as opposed to realizing what they're not, is such a big need, I think, for our pastors. Oh, that's so good. Brian, sometimes uh, pastors who are hurting really have trouble kind of finding the help they need. Some of them don't even, don't even want to step out of the shadows uh, and into the light saying, I need some help. Uh, how do the pastors in your district find the help that they need? What, what would you like to see them do? And uh, what's the process for them? The big one for us is uh, counseling. Um, it's one of the reasons I took the job, actually. I, it, um, not every one of our regions uh, offer what we offer. And I said, man, if my boss... Uh, takes this this seriously. I'm all in, and so so we call it the MAP program, MAP Ministers Assistance Program, and what it is is it it it's a way for our pastors, their wives, their kids, um, any other past any other pastors on staff, directors of ministry, their spouses, their kids, to receive up to nine counseling sessions a year. Uh, the pastor in, uh, pays uh, basically 25% and we pay 75%. That's the, that's the best way to describe it. And that's nine for you as pastor, nine for your wife, mm. nine for each kid. So, and, 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 you know, if someone gets done with those nine and the counselor says, man, we, we, this would really be helpful if we could get another two or three, great, we'll do it. Um, and so, to help a pastor understand, for us to be able to say counseling is not uh, an, an admission of weakness. As a matter of fact, it's a, it's a statement of strength for you as a leader. Um, you need to tell your people that you're you're you've done counseling. Um, there's I, there's still sadly in some Christian circles where Christian counseling is anathema. And I don't get it. I, I don't, we, we go to doctors for all sorts of stuff. Uh, it, I think, praise the Lord, we've discovered that mental health is as much a real thing as any broken arm or any cancerous <laughs> tumor or whatever. And so for us to be able to say in Convergement America, counseling is not this bad word. I did it. I, I, I needed some counseling in the, since I've been in this job, I'm about ready to do some more counseling actually, because <laughs> I think it's time for a checkup for me, especially as we've done this merger and, and, and then the additional responsibilities and, and all of that. But so I need it, but then I can also say, Hey, it's okay for you to do this because I'm doing it. And, and it's totally confidential. We don't ever know unless the pastor tells us. Um, and so, um, 
uh, we vet all of the counselors so that we know that they are in line with who we are as a movement and converge. But um, church board, I don't, I don't care where you are in the country, church board, communicate to your pastor, not only is counseling a good thing, it's a necessary thing. It's a healthy thing to do. Communicate it to your church. Um, encourage it. Do a map program, if you will, in your church for the people in your church. We did that in the church I came from. We did marriage counseling. Pastors, get out of the counseling business. Most of us are not gifted at it. We, we can do spiritual triage, I call it, in counseling, but then we need to send them to a, a certified counselor who can deal with these things. But man, it can get real expensive in a hurry for your people. And so, so pastor, experience the counseling yourself. Your counseling then gives permission to your people to go get the counseling that they need and make it financially feasible for them to do it uh, again in that, in that safe area. So that's that's a big deal, Sean, for us, that, that MAP program. And then one other thing we do is, is and it's not just our region, we do it as a, as a movement. We have a thing called Compass, uh, which is a way for a pastor and wife who's in some sort of a spot, uh, whatever that is. It's not even a bad spot, but maybe I'm a church planter and, I, uh, and I'm five years in and the original dream died and I got to figure out what's, what is this thing going to look like? Or... I'm in mid-ministry, right? And, and it's somewhere around your mid-40s where you start to say, I kind of filled out the resume now. Now what? And, uh, and, and that character piece becomes more critical. And you're, you're, how do I do the second half of ministry? Or um, I want to finish well. What does that look like for me? And, and so we bring 10 couples together for a, a two-day, we call it a ministry intensive uh, for you to sort of see what your present reality is in the areas of self-care, in relationships and ministry, and uh, then begin to dream about a preferred future. And we do that in cohorts, uh, women by themselves in cohorts and men by themselves. And then the idea is you come up with a plan uh, that then you take with you to play out then over the next year. And that cohort sort of lives with you in that for a year. And we've had over 60 couples. Uh, I'm doing one next week, actually. And we've had over 60 couples do it. And uh, we've had some couples that say, thank you. You saved our ministry at this church. We've had other couples say, we just decided we're done with ministry at this church. So we're not hmm. solving anything. We're not, but again, confidential. We don't report to anybody. Your cohort is a safe place. But you need to find that pastor. You need to find those safe places where you can share some of that backstage stuff. Um, we're, we're losing too many good pastors because they don't have that place to go. It, it sounds as though it's um, reorienting a, a culture when, yeah. when you're doing that to, to yeah. educate, to model, to uh, resource a new way, a healthier way of, of looking at things. And the, the challenge just seems almost overwhelming to me to think of, okay, you, you've got to convince church boards of that. You've got to convince congregations. You've got to convince districts. You've got to convince pastors themselves to, to address even some of those big things of stigma and cost and safety. And it's, it's exciting to hear you speaking of, of success uh, with that. Where, where else have you seen people really grab on to having a changed mindset about caring for pastors, um, allowing pastors time and space, and even encouraging, encouraging them to take that time and space to, to heal and to grow? 
Yeah, I think um, sabbaticals are a big deal. Most of our regions in Converge have a church strengthening guy. Not all have full-time guys like I am, but when we have a team and we meet together once a month and, and we try to, how can we collaborate together to help each other to be better together again? That's sort of our pithy statement. And, and the next one we're going to work on is sabbaticals. I think churches don't get them. They, they don't, they don't understand them. And, and some of it is they say, I don't get a sabbatical in my job. Why should you get one in your job? And it's a really tricky place because I believe pastoring is the most difficult job on the planet. Hmm. And I always have to qualify that because you, you have to, if you're going to say that, you better be careful how you say it, because I guarantee there are jobs out there that can be more stressful. There are jobs out there that are more physically hard. There are a lot of people that I, and this is actually maybe a condemnation of our pastors, but who work harder than, than some of our pastors. Um, but the difference is, is we're on the spiritual front lines as pastors. The evil one knows that if mm. he can destroy the pastor, he gets the church. Yeah. And we all know all those horror stories. And, and so I believe because of the spiritual battle that wages within a pastoral experience, that's why it's the hardest job on the planet. Mm -hmm. And so we have to help churches understand this, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. We have to understand that the shepherd of the church is going to stand before God and give an account as to how he shepherded his people. That should make all of us want to just throw up a little bit when we think about it. And, and by the way, I think it's a problem for a lot of our pastors. It's you, you can make a lot of money today. We're not paying people with chickens like you know, like it used to be, and and um, it can be kind of heady to be a pastor. And uh, I, I don't think we understand, as Paul Tripp says, it, that this is a dangerous calling, mm. and it's it's a dangerous calling because the evil one is way smarter than we are. And, and, and so if we don't grab onto the source of where our strength comes from, where our ability to overcome the evil one, which is in Christ himself, which is yes. in the power of the Holy Spirit clinging uh, to him, um, then we're done for. And so helping, I, it's one of the pieces of my job I love because pastors, you know, oh, we're too humble. We can't talk about money. We can't talk about <laughs> sabbaticals. We just have to pray that there is this vision from on high. Well, <laughs> let me be the vision from on high for your church. Let me come in and say, hey, board, get your act together. You mm -hmm. need to take care of your pastor better. And, and oh, by the way, one of the ways you do that is you need to give your pastor a sabbatical. And mm -hmm. that that sabbatical, here's another cautionary tale that pastors don't want to even get a sabbatical because in so many ways, a sabbatical is an opportunity for the church to have secret meetings while you're gone <laughs> and you come back and you don't have a church anymore. Yeah. And so helping a church work through what does it mean to construct a sabbatical plan that will, oh, by the way, help your pastor to be in a place where he will be more effective for the gospel, more effective in your church for years to come. Um, and it's going to look different in different places, the mm -hmm. way it's set up, all that. Um, but um, let your tribe, if you have one, uh, help you with all of that. Say, I need you to come in. You know, don't tell them I told you to come, but I need to come in. It's amazing churches that don't have retirement 
for their pastors. They don't have medical insurance for their pastors. I don't get it. Uh, yes, I understand that sometimes financially it's difficult, but we, we've got pastors who need to retire that, that won't and can't because their church hasn't taken care of them and they're not helping their church by not retiring. Mm. But it's their fault for not caring for them, for not giving them this sort of opportunity to be okay, if you will. And so- yeah. Yeah, and just in case we have uh, people listening who aren't part of a tribe or whose tribe yeah. will not invest in them, uh, PIR is willing to come alongside people and help them establish a sabbatical plan and uh, establish some rhythms for a healthy church culture. So uh, we work together with Converge. We work together with, with a whole bunch of different groups, and we're glad to do it too. And, and one of the words that is just kind of resonating in my head right now is, is advocate, because that's, that's really what yeah. I really hear you saying, Brian, is that you, you advocate for the pastor. Yeah. Uh, and, and part of it is that unwillingness or inability or fear to speak for yourself, to be, you know, you appear like you're trying to get a free vacation or something like that in terms of a sabbatical. So having someone else coming in and saying that. But I think it's, it's also a, a, a safety issue. Uh, you brought up before the pastor who says, you know, well, I'm not going to share my innermost issues with somebody from the denomination because that's like writing my own pink slip. Mm-hmm. Uh, how, how do you advocate for them to, to help them to move forward in health? You, you mentioned MAP, you've mentioned Compass and the, the privacy that, that's around it, but Certainly there are skeptics who say, yeah, right. I'm sure that's private. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's different depending on who you're with. So again, the advantage in Converge is that we are a bottom-up organization that uh, the church is completely autonomous. So, so you know, the, the easy answer to your question is we, we serve when we're invited to serve. Um, mm. And so we don't we don't bash the door in and say, you have to talk to us. Um, we, we, we come at the bidding of our churches. Mm. And so um, usually it's in a conversation with a pastor or it's in a conversation with a board that's invited me in where I can kind of read between the lines and say, okay, this is a situation where I have to advocate. Almost I, in non-COVID environments, I probably preach in 20 of our churches a year um, and I uh, I, I never lose an opportunity when I'm in the pulpit to not brag on the pastor of that church and, and to say how amazing it is for them to have that pastor in their church. And, and so it's, it's, it's not a one size fits all in the way that that happens. I do think in, in groups that are more top down oriented, that it, it's trickier. Um, because um, a lot of times that denominational person is coming in um, and telling you things that may or may not even be a part of what you're really dealing with in, in your church. And so, boy, if you're going to go advocate, um, you better understand uh, it, it is not one size fits all. Mm-hmm. And, and you better understand the unique culture and the unique environment that you're in and speak that way. And, uh, and not just say, nope, this is the way we do it as a movement. And, and uh, if you don't like it, lump it. And so, uh, you, you know, advocating is really doing a lot of listening. And so it's also why it's important to, to partner with groups like PIR. Um, we partner with 
IPM. Everything's a three-letter acronym, yeah. right? And so that's the cool way to do it. My wife it's is in A-okay. the education. Yeah, my wife's in the education field, and everything in education is a three-letter acronym. But um, IPM, Interim Pastor Ministries, we partner with them. We don't. We let. We, we let them do a lot of our interims in, in our churches. And, and the reason, uh, there's several reasons, but man, it, it's, it's nice to have an outside person coming in and, and looking at some of this. It's, it's nice to work with PIR and have opportunities for outside people to come look into some of this, uh, this stuff. And, and then to have the dialogue between groups where we, we know where our boundaries are, but we can also help each other out uh, help our pastors out together. I think that's an important thing too. It's, it's, it's not only a one size fits all. It doesn't work. Hmm. It's also not a completely a one group fits all. Uh, you, you have to have different places where, where you, uh, where you can bring people to, to get the things that they need. So sometimes it's difficult for leaders who are caring for other leaders to remember self-care. Uh, what do you care, do to care for your own soul? And uh, what advice do you have for pastors in this area? Yeah, so my advice is don't do what I do, do as I say, right? You know, it's, it's, I seem to remember you my are dad saying pastor. that to me a lot. Exactly. Um, it's important for me to check out. I can tell there are certain times where I'm not making good decisions anymore. I can tell that I'm... I've got certain ways in which I sort of anesthetize myself. Um, watching stupid TV is one of those places where I, I don't want to watch TV to learn anything. I want to watch TV to not think. So I think I'm answering the question simply to say for my own soul care, I got to make sure that I'm checking out to check back in. Boy, at least once a quarter for me. Um, it's, it's a week once a quarter that I got to make sure to get away and, and just not even if I get away, but to get out. So Brian, um, we, we always like to end our, uh, podcast by asking kind of the same question to each person. Uh, what words of hope do you have for discouraged pastors? God has put you where he's put you by no accident. The grass is not necessarily greener somewhere else. And so the hope is hang in there where you are, where God has planted you and, and continue to pray for him to do the work that needs to happen to see this amazing thing happen in your churches. If you can hang in there and we can even help you hang in there, uh, um, there is something greater that you will experience, but you got to hang in there. And so the, the hope is if you, if you can hang in there, if, if you can, if you can keep plotting forward, doing, doing the right things, the right way, recognizing that God is the one who brings the growth, that we will see God do amazing things. And so I know so many guys are so tired right now and, and they want, they just want to be uh, you know, no offense to Walmart greeters, but it's sounding really <laughs> cool to a lot of guys right now. And I say, hang in there because God is using all of this to refine us as leaders, to deal with our character in such a way that we might be um, more of, of what he's wanting us to be about. And it, it's all going to change. And, uh, what God has been doing in your life over the last several years might be for such a time as this now. 
Well, Brian Moak, it has been a joy having you on Hope Renew. Thanks so much for uh, sharing uh, your story, sharing your call, sharing your passion, and sharing the hope that we find in Christ with others. Thanks, Brian. Yeah, it's great. Thank you for having me, and thanks for what you guys are doing. I, I'm so grateful for what God is doing through you. It's good to be in partnership together. Yeah. And as always, we invite you, our listeners, to rate and review Hope Renewed in iTunes or your favorite podcast app and to share this podcast with your friends on social media. It's a great way to help us continue to bring hope to others. Thanks for joining us today. It's our prayer that your hope in Christ strengthens you as you follow and serve Him. PIR Ministries partners with God and the church in the work of pastoral renewal and restoration to cultivate new hope for healthy ministry lives. You can learn more about us at our webpage, pirministries.org, or email us at info at pirministries.org. Thanks for joining us for Hope Renewed, and remember, the hope Christ offers will never put us to shame.